It's important to remember that always there are seasons of our lives, the seasons of creation and the seasons of the church year, and most of us are familiar that even our own living goes through different seasons, and the need for us to know God's love never changes, but perhaps in the midst of the changing seasons of our lives, we become even more aware of our need for God's love. Have any of you ever felt hopeless? Have you been at a place in which all of your resources and all of your responses have run dry with regard to whatever's going on? Or perhaps it is that uh, you're stuck in that place where all of your efforts have been expended and you simply are hopeless. Maybe a place where you're no longer sure what is good and right and true Uh, And maybe what you're most sure of is that you're not sure that good and right and true is even for you. Do you know what it means or what it feels like to be hopeless? In this season of Lent, our, our series is called A Journey to Hope. It's actually based on a cantata called A Journey to Hope that the choir and orchestra are gonna do Palm Sunday weekend. And each week there's a songs that are spirituals that have uh, sustained us and our faith for many, many years that they are working on and will offer to us Palm Sunday weekend. But the journey to hope, our hope is not simply a feeling of expectation or a desire for a certain outcome. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ, our Lord and our Savior. That's where we put our faith and our trust. This hope that we have in Christ is not bound by human constraints or determined by human will. It's hope that is ours by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to control it or to define the hope, but to lean into it and live from it. The journey to hope begins with the call to faith. And faith is defined by the writer of Hebrews as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I wonder where you desperately need hope today. And I wonder how you will respond to the call to faith in the midst of that desperation. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us where we are this day, that your word would take hold of us and transform us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In this season of Lent, as Mary was, was talking about, it's a season, a time for us to reflect on our own walks with Christ, our own lives. It's a time for repentance, to look at our lives in light of what God has called us to do and to, to confess those places where we have failed to be God's obedient people, those places where we have missed the mark that God has set for us. And truth be told, Lent can be, can be brutal, right? If you're honest with yourself, in that sense of 
living with that humility about uh, who we are and how often and how well we miss the mark that God sets for us, it can be brutal and it can be beautiful. Or as someone said, combining those words, it can be brutal, right? To be in the season of Lent. We know as people of faith where the season of Aunt Lent, where the season of Lent ends. And that's good news for us. And the invitation is to walk through the brutalness of Lent. Looking at ourselves, looking at our journeys. The, the foundation of it being so beautiful is that we're not reflecting on our lives or ourselves in isolation. We're reflecting on them knowing that we are grounded in Christ. Knowing that we're already named and claimed by God and there's the invitation to take an honest look at where we are and how we are living. So we start with Jesus's story, which is where our story begins as well. Out of the Gospel of Matthew, in those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, to John, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. <clears throat> Here's the, the river Jordan. They were coming to this place along the river for John to baptize them. The people had been waiting a long time for the Messiah. A long time for the one who would save them, who would deliver them. The suffering that they endured and the challenges that they faced hadn't been born overnight. They were years in the making. Years of waiting and hoping and hoping and waiting some more. And now the time has come. John has been working to prepare the way for Jesus and the people have been working to prepare their hearts and their lives the best they could. They were coming to John to be baptized in this water, this water that makes us clean, this water that gives us life, this water that has so much power in all of creation. Baptism was an ancient ritual. It was a rite of purification. It would have been something they were very familiar with, but it was something that they repeated over and over again to be made clean in these waters of baptism. Even Jesus comes for baptism, but not because he needed to repent and, and uh, be forgiven, but so that he can be identified as the Son of God, so that we in our baptisms know that we are identified with him in this baptism. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Baptized by water, as all of the people had been, and now baptized by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that identifies to us who Jesus is. This is the one in whom we hope, this one who is the beloved Son of God. 
The call to faith, the call to faith is to believe in this one, this person, that in his belovedness, he makes room for us to know that we are beloved. The call to faith is to trust in him, to place our hope in him. This is the start of Jesus' story, and it's the start of ours. The two songs that the choir uh, are working on um, this weekend out of this cantata are uh, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. Jane played it as the prelude at the beginning of the service. And then Wade in the Water, these spirituals that have over many, many years been this invitation, this call to trust, this call to trust, this draw to come and, and believe the call to faith, especially when we are so hopeless where we are. There's a great story in the Gospel of John that speaks to the hopelessness that some of us feel, and it speaks to the place where Jesus enters in and offers healing. Now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethsaida, which has five porticos, In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. A couple of things to know about this passage. The sheep gate, uh, the pool that is there is, is located now. There's a church there called the Church of St. Anne. And, and you can actually, um, <clears throat> this is a, a picture of that. Um, the Church of St. Anne is uh, kind of back behind this or in front of this and, and to the left. And you can walk down and around and through uh, this place where all the, the water would have been. And, and especially during the feasts and the festivals when people were all making their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, when this was filled with water, there were times in which water would bubble up or the waters would be stirred up. And what we know now is, is that likely there were springs underneath that were causing that to spring up, but they didn't know that. At that point, and so for them, it was a place in which when the waters were stirred up, uh, it was believed that the first person who could get into the water would be made well. And so people, the lame and the blind and, and the parrot, they would all uh, gather and, and wait and, and uh, linger in this space, hoping that not only would the waters be stirred up, but that somehow they could be the first into the water to be healed, the power of water to cleanse us and heal us. So this man in this story has been ill for 38 years. He hasn't been sitting outside uh, that pool for 38 years, but he's been ill for 38 years. And what what you need to understand about that is is that his affliction was permanent. It wasn't some acute uh, attack of something. He was living with this as part of who he was. His, His whole life had been defined by this affliction and by this thing that made him different. For 38 years, he had been ill. The the complete hopelessness for him in all of that. And you notice that he doesn't call out to Jesus, as in some of the stories, but Jesus says to him, when Jesus saw him, I remember if you were here when Jessica preached, she talked about when Jesus sees 
you, it really opens up the space to the miracle that Jesus wants to do. It's not just seeing you and noticing you. It is seeing you and knowing you. Jesus saw him and knew he had been there a long time. Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? Jesus initiates the interaction. Do you want to be made well? The word made well here is is a word that means to be made whole, to be healthy. Do you want to be made well? For this man, he has already presupposed that the only way he's going to be made well is if he can get into the water first when it's stirred up. He's unable to imagine that there's any other way for him to be made well. He's hopeless and in an impossible situation. And I wonder how much of this is resonating with our own stories. When Jesus says to us, do you want to be made well? And and we only know being made well in certain contexts or in certain ways. We can't even imagine that there's any other way to be made well. All of us have something at some point in our lives from which we need to be made well or made whole, even if it simply is our humanity in which uh, we are part of the fallenness of humanity and in our brokenness, we need Jesus to make us whole. It happens for us in different ways uh, across the course of our lives. And if we're honest, even after that initial time of saying yes to Jesus and and being made whole of, of Receiving that gift of salvation, which also means to be made whole. If we're engaged in this ongoing process of transformation and sanctification, there are always ways in which we can be made more whole in our day-to-day living. There's always something that God invites us into a deeper trust and a deeper belief in who Jesus is and what God offers to us in Christ. Always something that dares us to hope that we can be more than what we are in this moment. Always something for us. That's part of being a human being in this fallen world. Maybe it's a spiritual thing. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's emotional or, or mental health-related, maybe it's in relationships for you or in the work that you do, or maybe it's just life in general. Or maybe it's even beyond where you are right now, and it's the struggle and the suffering of someone else or something greater than our own lives that, that causes you to be in this place. And Jesus asks us, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be changed from where you are today? And the truth is, some of us in the very inmost places in our hearts are content to stay as we are. And while we would be okay being made well, we don't want to have to change anything about who we are in order to be made well. But in order to be made well means that we have to change from where we are right now. And and the the thing is, we're not sure we want to change because we don't know what's on the other side of being made well. It's all unknown. In our brokenness and in our suffering, we know where we are. 
We know what this landscape looks like. To be asked if we want to be made well means that we have to trust that there's a different landscape for us that will change. If we don't really want to be made well, that doesn't mean God loves us any less. God's not going to force us, though, to receive the gift of being made well or receive the gift of changing into a different landscape, a broader landscape. But God doesn't love us any less. It's true for us as individuals. It can be true for us as families. It can be true for us as institutions and organizations. We can't be made well if we're unwilling to change from where we currently are. The call to faith is not about just wanting to be made well or be made whole, but believing and trusting beyond what we can see. Believing beyond what we assume to be true because that's all we've ever known. The call to faith is to believe because of who Jesus is, not because of who we are. It's a call to faith in Jesus, not in things, not in other people, not in our careers, not in power or possessions or position, not in organizations or institutions. In Christ alone is where we put our faith. In Christ alone is where we find our hope. Watch what happens now to this man. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well and he took took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. This is a cause for celebration. This man who has been an invalid for 38 years has been made well. We should be excited for him. The people observing him should be excited for him, but it's the Sabbath. And he's picked up his mat and he's carried his mat, and that means that he has now worked on the Sabbath and he's violated the law. And so the Jews said to the man who had been cured, It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your mat. It's as if they didn't even take note that he had been healed. He had been made whole. He had been made well. But he answered them, the man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take, up, take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Now, just a note, that doesn't imply that the man's affliction had been the result of sin. I don't, I don't want you to think that because of this story, right? There's so many different things to un, unpack here. It's like the story of the man that had been b- born blind and, and people want to know who had sinned, the man or his parents. And Jesus said, it's not about that. So this doesn't imply that. It carries out the rest of the story. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. 
Therefore the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. The other thing you need to know about this text is that when it says the Jews, it's not talking about the whole of the Jewish people. It's referring to the Jews that are in this position of authority, who are uh, guardians of the law, who are protecting what they believe is theirs to protect, making sure that people uh, do what they're supposed to do. So it's, it's these uh, Jewish authorities that are calling out this man for working on the Sabbath and violating that. It's these Jewish authorities who are now looking to Jesus to find out uh, what in the world he's doing and how this is all going to uh, play out. You, know, you notice it's, they don't really seem to have a problem with him being healed. Um, as I said, it's as if they don't even really notice that it, it's the work that he does that's the Sabbath violation. And so instead of celebrating this miracle for him, they turn against the one who made it happen. They're, they're more concerned with the violation of the law than with the new life that this man has received. Because, I mean, <clears throat> if Jesus gets away with this, what might happen next? And Jesus says, my father is still working, and I also am working. Sometimes in our hopelessness, we forget that God is still working. Even when we can't see it, even when others try to discount the work that we know is happening in us, the change happening in us, or the the life force coming to us, even when we can't see it or understand it, God is still working. My father is still working regardless of what we as humans do, regardless of the boundaries that we impose. And Jesus asks us still, Do you want to be made well? To all of us, Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Yes, of course. Well, maybe. As long as I don't have to change, then yes, I want to be made well. It's true for us as individuals. It's true for us as a nation, so divided and polarized. It is true for us as an institution in deep struggle. I want things to be better, but I really want someone else to change so that it can be better for me. Maybe the realization for us in this season of Lent and in this story of this man is that I can never be made well by expecting someone else to change. Jesus doesn't ask if I want Paul to be made well. Jesus asks if I want to be made well. It doesn't do me any good to wish for Paul to change in order for me to be well. It just doesn't work like that. Our hope is that Jesus is still working even in the unknown. And that's the scary part, the unknown, because really what what might happen? A friend texted me this week. She said, the unknown is such a faith and trust builder or destroyer. The call to faith is into that unknown space with the one for whom the unknown is not only fully known, 
but full of possibilities and potential for what might be known. What might happen? Sure. Or what might happen? What might happen if we step into the unknown and trust the one who has invited us there, who calls us there to live in faith and in hope? The only way to know what might happen is to respond to the invitation that Jesus offers, this this call to faith, to believe in Jesus and to trust in someone greater than ourselves, greater than what we can see with our own eyes, confident in the hope that we have. And listen, in hope we were saved. This is Paul writing to the Romans. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints, that's all of us, in according, according to the will of God. We are not without hope, but it is a journey to hope that begins with a call to faith. A call to trust beyond what we can see to the one who sees all and knows all. I wonder where you need to be made well. And if you want to be made well, it's really Jesus asking, not me. What obstacles are in your way? What do you need to bring to Jesus? And will you trust beyond what you can see? Will you let all the unknown Be a faith and trust builder and not a destroyer. The journey to hope begins with the call to faith. I wonder how you will respond from exactly where you are right now. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we need you more than ever. There are places likely for all of us where hope is either low or we seem to be without altogether. And we pray that as we so look to you and long for you to be at work in us and through us, that you would help us trust even when we can't see. You would help us step into the unknown and and believe that what you might do is more glorious and amazing than what we could even imagine. Lord, help us in this season of Lent to to know that in hope we can wait with patience, believing that you are still working. Give us courage to say yes to believing in Jesus, to trusting in Jesus, to putting our hope in Jesus as we journey with him from here through Lent to Holy Week, to his death, and to the resurrection. Let us hold on to that, even as we step out in faith, to where you are leading us as you ask us every day, do you want to be made well? We do, we do. 
Help us be willing to let you work the change in us that is needed for us to be made well. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite you to